Thank you, Larry. As uh, many of you will know, Larry is a trustee at Charleston Southern University, one of 25 uh, selected by the South Carolina Baptist Convention. Uh, and we are thrilled, A, that uh, Larry is part of, part of the mix, but we're also thrilled because uh, the trustee's principal function is to make sure that Charleston Southern University, the same thing happens at Anderson, the same thing happens at North Greenville, to make sure that these schools stay tethered to, to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And each of these schools are places, probably unlike any other state uh, in our country, in which all three Southern Baptist schools are so committed to Jesus Christ, so committed to the gospel, so committed to the fact that the founding principle of Charleston Southern University is the Great Commission. And so thanks to all of you as well. We realize without any doubt in our mind at least that uh, we could not do what we do without you. We know that you pray for us. We know that you give. We know that, uh, that the South Carolina Baptist Convention is very generous in terms of prov providing scholarships to students so that students can have access to the kind of education that puts Jesus Christ central in the classroom, on the athletic field, and every place else that, uh, that a student may be found. So thank you so much. Thanks to this church as well for being the kind of church which for as long as anybody can remember has been equally committed to the gospel, has been equally committed to the fact that Jesus Christ gave his life as a sacrifice for the sins of anybody who would believe. Um, if, if you ever wonder uh, what this whole church thing is all about, if you ever forget, all you have to remember is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him would never perish but have everlasting life. And we also, in saying that, also recall that the opposite is true. That whosoever does not believe will not have eternal life and will perish our obligation. The reason we do uh, Lottie Moon offerings, the reason we do Annie Armstrong offerings, the reason that we, uh, that we provide resources to send people to places like Charleston Southern is so that whatever sphere of influence you go to, there you become the missionary. You become the one that somebody may come to and say, what is it about you that makes you different and you get to say well it sure ain't me it's the Lord Jesus Christ I, I, I sat there this morning I'm a little bit better in this service but I was sitting there on on the road that I got up from and I kept staring at Jesus come unto me all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest and I was reminded while sitting there this morning my clock said 730 he told me it was 8.30. <laughs> and I, I, I was reminded very quickly that Pastor Dylan pulled a fast one on me. <laughs> I don't know where he is, but, but he made me get up uh, for the 7.30 service on time change day. That dude's pretty smart, if you ask me. Uh, we, we, we serve an amazing God. He's an amazing God because in, a, in, in the same song service, we can sing, How Great Thou Art. Thank you. We, we can sing about a God who made everything and is worthy of our worship. In that same song service, we can sing that no one
ever cared for me like Jesus. Isn't it marvelous that those two things are not mutually exclusive? Isn't it marvelous that the fact that God is who He is and is almighty and all-powerful and the creator and sustainer of all that is has the power to make happen the fact that no one will ever care for you like Jesus. And I know that in a, in, in a place like this this morning, some of you are having fantastic seasons of your life. Some of you sitting uh, in this service already have said amen so many times because when you think about this season of your life, you think, yes, everything in my life is going marvelously well. And you say amen, amen, amen. And others of you, because we have all been there, others of you in the same song, in the same service can say, have said, perhaps are saying is that really true? What evidence is there in my life at this moment in time that God is powerful and that He cares for me? What evidence is there? And that's why God brings us together as a church. That's why God puts us together in families. He does so because when I am up and you are down, I can remind you of how good God is. I can say to you, but, but, but just remember two years ago what He did. If He did it, then He'll do it again. And when I'm down, you can say to me, Dandi, remember the goodness of God. Remember the fact that God is great and God is good regardless of your circumstances and He will prove Himself again and again and again. He always has. And He always will. This is the God we serve. Today I'm going to ask you to turn to Exodus chapter 17. We're going to look at the uh, whole chapter there. It's only 16 verses we'll read. We'll read the first uh, few and then we'll look at uh, 8 through 16 in a little more detail. And the message today is simple, which is what makes it complex. That we can pray with power. We can pray with power. Exodus chapter 17, I'll begin in verse 1. The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of sin. And I'll stop there for a second. And, and you geography types will know that the desert of sin is a physical place on the map. I've never been to the desert of sin, but I live in the desert of sin. I, I, I live and a place in which I have to wake up every morning and remember that I am a sinful person who has been saved by the grace of God. And in this flesh of mine, uh, there are all sorts of things lingering that, that, that would push me away from the things of God. And my prayer every day is, God, help me to stay close to you today. Help to use me in some way that will show somebody else that 
how they are living is not how they have to live because of who you are. Traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? Now, if you will recall the context here, the context is that just a few days before, these people were making bricks without straw under the oppressive hand of the Egyptians. And these people had cried out to the Lord God for help and God had answered, listened and heard and answered and He sent Moses to them just a few days before. Just a few days before, they were in this place where they had prayed to God for help and He sent a miracle worker. He sent a, a, a man, a, a reluctant man, I have to say, a, a reluctant man who had not that many days prior been arguing with God like face to face. Now let me tell you something, brothers and sisters. If you go back to Exodus chapters 3 and 4, um, you will see yourself. You will see yourself there because you will see, it's a mind-blowing thing, you will see a man talking to a burning bush. You say, do you believe that the bush was actually burning? If the Bible says the bush was burning, I'm going with it. The bush was burning. And from this bush, the, the, the voice of God came. And as most of us tend to do, Moses was minding his own business. He was doing his, his work. He was being a shepherd. Um, and, and God said to him, hey, Moses, come over here for a second. I got a word for you. And Moses said, well, I guess, hey, hey, could you watch these sheep for a little while? I got to go, apparently I got to go talk to a bush. So he walks over and talks to the bush. And, and the first thing God says in so many words is, how great I art. Take your shoes off. This is holy ground. And so there's Moses talking to a bush. Now, if a bush named God talks to you, I'm just telling you, this is the best advice you'll ever hear. Do what the bush says. I mean, I mean but, but, but what did Moses do? Moses said, now, I get the fact that you're God. I understand. I'm not, I'm not debating that. But, but the problem here is, God, you are calling me to do something I don't want to do. You're calling me to do something and be in a place I don't feel equipped to do. Uh, and you're calling me to a place I'm not going to go. And God says, as God often does, well, well, we'll just see about that. And so Moses then, then brings up some pretty good excuses, I think, because I've used them all. 
I, 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 I don't know who you are all that well. Um, I, I, don't, I don't really know what to say. I don't really know what to do. I don't have any authority or credentials that they will, that, that they will um, believe me about. And oh, by the way, you're calling me to go back to a place that I had to run from. Because I, I'm kind of a fugitive from the law. Now, I haven't had to say that just for the record. But God says in so many words, that's exactly why I'm calling you. So that when you go to that place that you don't want to go, that you're not equipped to go, that everybody there, including you, will know beyond a shadow of a doubt that if anything happens, it's because I, God, did it and not you. You are merely a well-loved instrument in my hands. And so this is the place where Moses is. And he has gone to these people. And he has gone to Pharaoh who doesn't like the whole idea himself. He's gone to the people who, who think they want to leave where they are. But, but, but uh, just a few days after, having, by the way, been through all sorts of plagues successfully, having uh, crossed the, 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 the Red Sea on, on dry land and having looked over their shoulder and seeing the enemy being buried in the water just a few days after that is where we are here where is this God that you said was so big Moses must have been what, are you did, did you I mean we all just left there I mean that this was not this is not ancient history people we'd lived through this in fact I still got mud on my shoes from the Red Sea uh, you have, you know, brick dust on your clothes. Uh, and God has delivered us. And the God who brought us through all those plagues is going to bring us through this. But the people already doubt. Verse 4. Then Moses cried out to the Lord, What am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord answered Moses, Walk on ahead of the people. Um, and I suspect Moses would have said, how about if I run really fast and see if they can catch up? Walk on ahead of the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock, and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the place Massa and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord, saying, and I'm going to pause here just for a second. The people then ask, is the Lord among us or not? You know, that's a pretty good question. Because my guess is, if you are anything like me, you have been in situations where your head says, yes, the Lord is with me because I sang it in Sunday school last week. The, I, I, I know the Lord is with me, but I've got to tell you the truth. It sure doesn't feel like He's here in this moment. And my guess is that some of you today are exactly there. Something has happened in your life. Something has happened in your situation. Maybe of your own choosing. Maybe uh, of, by the choices of others. But you are in a place where you are asking yourself. Now you may not say it in Sunday school. 
You may not tell your grandma. You may not put it on Facebook. But in yourself, you say, is the Lord among us or not? It really is the question of every morning. Is the Lord among us or not? Well, the answer is yes. He is among us. Even in the depth of your pain, He is there. Verse 8, the Amalekites came. Now the Amalekites are bad people. The Amalekites are, 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 are the enemies of God, the enemies of God's people. The Amalekites are those who wait until payday and uh, you're walking home with your two weeks worth of pay and the Amalekites are the ones who jump out from behind the, 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 the building and take all your money and run away and wait until next payday. And this happens payday after payday after payday. The Amalekites are those who wait until you harvest your crops. Then they come and steal your food so they can have it. And, and we're sort of scared of them. These are the enemies of God. These are the, are, are the forces in this life that take from you that which you know uh, God has given to you. The Amalekites are, are people that will be fought for a long time here. And the Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, Choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. Now, now I am a graduate of the Air War College. And when I look at this, I think, this is not a good idea. I mean, if you're going to do strategy uh, in the flesh, this is not a good idea. Hey, why would you choose just some of the men? I mean, you, you might want to pick them all. You might want to have a draft. You might want to make sure everybody goes out there to fight. Um, and, and, and why Moses, if I were Joshua, uh, I, I would say, Joshua, I'd say, Moses, brother, I mean, you know, I know you're the general and all this kind of stuff, and, and I'm probably just the colonel, but, but, but don't you think you should come with us? I mean, we're going to need all the help that we can get. Don't you think that you should come with us? Well, Moses had a, had a different idea about how they were going to win this battle. And Moses knew from the get-go. Now, now re remember, just a few days ago, they were making bricks without straw. These people had never been to basic training. These people had never learned to, to, to fire a weapon. These people had never studied the art of war. All they knew how to do was make bricks. And now they were to fight the toughest enemy on the planet. And Moses says, I'm going to take a couple of dudes up on the hill and you go and fight. But, but, but notice he says he took the staff of God. Oh, well, okay, now, now we're getting somewhere. I mean, uh, I mean, if you're going to take the staff of God up there, then, then maybe this thing's going to turn out okay. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered in verse 10. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. Now, again, if I were Joshua, if I was a colonel, I would have said to Moses, now, hold on just a second, Moses. I mean, why is it that you are taking these two good fighters, I assume, uh, and, and, and putting them in the Pentagon to do staff work? 
because I need them on the battlefield. And, and, and Moses must have said to him in so many words, don't you worry. They'll be on the battlefield that matters most. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady until sunset. Couldn't God have just won the battle in ten minutes? Verse 13. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it. Because I will completely blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar and called it, The Lord is my banner. He said, For hands were lifted up to the throne of the Lord. The Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. Now, when I look at this passage, I I see both how great thou art, and no one ever cared for me like Jesus. I see four principles here in this passage that um, if you adopt these principles, because they're all throughout Scripture, you will be assured without a doubt that He will never leave you nor forsake you. The first principle is this. Make prayer your first priority. Make prayer your first priority. Now, now, if, if, if you're like the average person, even the average Christian, fair, uh, prayer, prayer is not your first priority. Prayer is perhaps your last resort. Maybe you find yourself in difficult situations and not until you're at the lowest of the low do you say, cry out to God for help and He's waiting on you. But you don't have to wait. You don't have to allow yourself to be so disconnected from the God of heaven because He has given us this great opportunity. Now I have to be honest with you. I am routinely confused about prayer. Routinely. You say, well, haven't you been a, like a preacher and stuff for like a quarter of a century? And, you know, didn't you like go to Southern Baptist seminaries? And don't you have like a PhD and all that stuff? And you're still confused about prayer? Yes. I'm confused about prayer for at least two reasons. I don't understand why. If God is who He says He is, and I believe every word of that, 
If God is as powerful as he claims to be, if he is as powerful and as all-knowing and as all-everything as I have seen with my own eyes day after day after day for every minute of my life, why is it that he asked me, commands me to pray? I have no idea. I do know these things from Scripture that, that we are commanded to pray. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says that we should pray without ceasing. When you read about spiritual warfare in Ephesians chapter 6, um, after putting on the full armor of God, uh, at the very end he says, uh, then just pray. After you've done everything else, pray. The Bible says that we should pray without ceasing. We should pray about everything. Uh, and he commands it. I know from my personal experience and from Scripture that prayer changes things too, by the way. I don't understand how, but I do know that, that in James chapter 5, um, even as something as simple as that, if you're sick, the Bible says call the elders around you and pray as if God has the power to do something about it. He is the great physician, by the way. Now, he may choose to do something other than what I would wish, but, but, but I'm reminded often it changes things. It changes the, the course of history. Maybe the most important thing in my own personal walk with God, because all that is true, all that is obvious, all that is evident, is that prayer changes me. I am a different person when I am consistently talking to God. I am a different person. I, I am a person who better understands that it, this world really isn't all about me. That the world doesn't revolve around me. Uh, it revolves around God. I'm reminded of that fundamental principle in life that says there is a God uh, and I'm not Him. You see what Moses did there in that whole burning bush thing? What the people of God did just days after they had seen over their shoulders the, 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 the enemies of God drowned is they said, is the Lord among us or not? What? 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 Because they hadn't been reminded for a couple of days. Happens to me. I suspect it happens to you. He commands us to pray. It changes things. It changes me. And we have this amazing privilege of communing with God Almighty. I mean, you get to go, if you're a son or daughter of God, you get to go right into His presence and, and you know, sit right on His lap. But He's God Almighty, yes, but He also, nobody cares for me like Jesus. You get to sit right in his lap and you get to say, Abba, Father, let me tell you how things are going today. And that's when uh, he says, like my mom and dad always say, I, I know, son, I know. But tell me more about that. You, you, you get to be in the presence of God. And, and I, I, I don't know all of you, 
but it, it may be the case that, that some of you have never understood the gospel of Jesus Christ. It, it, it may be the case that you have never understood, well, you know you're a sinner. You, you, you got that part down. You know that you've, you, you've not been perfect. You know that you've not done everything right. You know all that, but, but you don't understand how you can go from death to life. And that's how Jesus Christ builds this bridge and says, if you will exchange your sin, uh, I will give for, for my righteousness, I will give you salvation. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. But you get it if you ask for it. And when you cross over into this place, uh, you're, you're home. There's, there's nothing like going home. I, I was in the Air Force for 36 years. Lived all over the world. And when people to this day say, where are you from? What's your home? I, I, I give them the address of a place I haven't lived at in 30-some in, uh, years because I know that every time I walk through those doors, they accepted me like I own the place. That's what God does. Make prayer your first priority. That's what Moses did. Now, if I were Joshua, if I was the, the guy who was responsible, responsible for a battlefield strategy, um, I would have said to Moses, I would have said, okay, ho hold on just a second. Um, I get the fact that you're going up to the hill. I get that. All right, you got the staff. I understand that. Uh, what I don't understand is why are you taking Aaron and her? I mean, do, do you know I could take Aaron and her and I could put them in charge of, of my two divisions? And I could make them division commanders. And these division commanders would do what you know they're going to do. So I'm kind of, I'm kind of upset that you're taking your two best troops and taking them with you. And that's where Moses says in so many words, you know, we're going we're to pray with fervent passion. And what has to happen here is I have to hold the staff of God up. Now, I don't understand why. I only know that every other time that God has allowed me to do this, He has used that very odd thing and has used that for His glory and our good. And so I'm going to do that. And He's commanded me to. It changes me. It changes things. I have communion with Him. We're going to go do that. Our fervent passion is we are not going to quit. And the, the scriptures pointed out pretty clearly that as long as Moses' hands were up, that staff was up, the, the, on the battlefield, they were winning. But the second that he lost his own strength and that staff went down, they were losing. Which meant Moses had to find something in his own strength to pull that staff back up because that staff was the symbol and the power of God. Not Moses' strength, but God's alone. The staff was a pretty cool deal. You remember back in Exodus chapter 4 when Moses is having that conversation with the bush. And Moses, after, after being, I think, there had been plenty of evidence for him to be convinced, but he was still doing like I do. I'm not going. I'm not going. Here's an excuse. Here's another one. You keep going. And God says, listen, I'll be here all day. I was here before you got here. I'll be here long after you leave. And every excuse, the answer is always going to be me. You got a weakness, God will take care of it. You got a problem, I'll step in. You got a challenge, don't you worry. This is about my glory, not your weakness. I will work through you. 
And so Moses, uh, God says to Moses, and after he says, well, what if they don't believe me? He says, oh, this will be easy. He says, you see that staff on your hand? You, you take that staff, you throw it on the ground. And, and Moses said, I can do that. Throw it on the ground, turn it into a snake. It's the next part that gets me. God says, grab the snake by the tail and pick it up. Uh, no. But he did it. And the second he grabbed a hold of it, it turned right back into a staff. And as you know the story, Moses was completely, con no, he wasn't. He said, what else you got? God says, take your hand and stick it into your cloak. And he did it. And he says, pull it out. Pulled it out. It was leprous, as white as snow. And he said, put it back in. Put it right back in and pull it back out. And it was clean again. And you know that Moses was convinced then, right? Not exactly. One more, God. What, what, what else you got? You take water from the Nile, throw it on the ground, it will turn into blood. See, that staff was a symbol of the power of God. And so on the top of that mountain, he made prayer his first priority. He prayed with fervent passion. And the third, and maybe the most important thing here, he prayed with faithful partners. That's why he brought Aaron and her up with him. He brought a her and a him. Worst joke you'll hear all day. He took Aaron and her, and maybe Joshua, in the, in the heat of the battle, maybe Joshua looked back as he saw Moses' hands going down. Maybe he looked back and he was like, uh-oh, this ain't good. And at that very moment, he saw Aaron and her, who'd already sent Moses on a stone because he was tired, because you don't have the strength, nor did he to do everything God wants you to do. Uh, uh, and, and Aaron and her said, well, we'll hold your arms up for you. And every time that happened, Joshua, in my own mind, looked back and said, oh, okay, that's why he took Aaron and her with him. He knew in the very beginning that he did not have the strength in himself to get it done. And so he knew at that moment, I suspect, that Aaron and her were on the most important battlefield. Pray with faithful partners. That's why you come to church. That's why you come and join a Sunday school class. That's why if you are a, a, a youth person um, and you don't want to get up early or go, or go to a, a Wednesday night service or whenever you have it here, uh, that's why your mom and dad or grandma and grandpa or guardian, whoever brings you or sends you, makes, drops you off, whatever they do, they are brilliant because they want you to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you have everything in you to live for God in every single way. These faithful partners do that. That's why. Because there will be days when you are down. And if you are depending completely on yourself, you need somebody else to remind you of the goodness of God. That's what your Sunday school class is all about. That's why you want faithful members of your family. That's why you share the gospel with people you love. Because you want them to have what you have. You make prayer your first priority. You pray with fervent passion. You pray with faithful partners. And last thing, you pray with a focused purpose. 
thing in this passage. That was cool. It was very, very unmilitary. Those of you military people will know what I mean because it says Joshua won the battle. Well, for goodness sakes, Joshua needs a medal. I mean, if Joshua deployed to the front lines and won the battle, then he needs a medal. We need to give him a big medal and a trophy and a certificate and a plaque. And we need to put his name, inscribe his name on something because he'll fight again if we do that for him this time. Next time, he'll fight even harder. Now, all the troops who were there with him, we're going to give them commendations as well. And we're going to parade them past. And we're going to say, look what these people did. God does the exact opposite. He says, no, not look what these people did. Look what I did through these people. So he builds an altar. I love verse 14 because, because he says, write this on a scroll. Give everybody a New Testament. Have the Gideons go around and give everybody a New Testament so they're not going to forget. Write this on a scroll. And it says, he says, because I want to make sure Joshua hears it. He was on the battlefield, man. He's sweating and he's probably got arrows in him or whatever else. He's, he's hurting. He's had a tough day. But I want to make sure that Joshua knows who won the battle. Other thing about it, he says the, the Amalekites are going to be defeated. What he forgot to say was, you're going to fight them a whole bunch of other times. And they are going to be around until the time of David. When you die, Joshua, he didn't give them all the news. Thank God he doesn't give me all the news either every time. Oh, but on the day of your death, the Amalekites will still be strong, but you will have defeated them many times, but they're going to come back and fight previous, uh, future generations. And so what you need to do, all of us need to do, is make sure that future generations know the power of God who defeated the Amalekites on that day will defeat them when they come back. Now, now here's where it gets a little bit personal. If you are a cancer survivor and cancer comes back does God still love you is God still just as powerful if you have a, a loved one a, a son or a daughter or, or a grandson or a granddaughter who who you've raised to love the Lord and they make choices that are inconsistent with your values and scripture does God still love you does God still love them where is God in all this that's what the end of verse 7. So is the Lord among us or not? We need to be reminded because if we rely upon our feelings only, the answer will sometimes be too often be no, he's not here. Because there is no evidence to that fact. Here's the evidence. The evidence is here. That's why they build an altar. And they call it, the Lord is my banner. Not Joshua is a war hero. The Lord is my banner. The Lord did this and we were instruments in His hand. That's what this church is all about. You are instruments in the hands of God. But only if you got your hands firmly gra gra grabbed onto the staff. That's what prayer is. Now, you may say, as I have said to myself, 
I think prayer must be because it must be you get up at 4.30 in the morning, which reminds me of Pastor Ron Dillon right now, I have to say. You get up at 4.30 in the morning and you jump right out of bed and you are wide-eyed and you are ready to run to the throne of God and you run there and you don't eat, you don't drink coffee, you run right to the throne of God and you stand there in His presence and you do this at 4.30 in the morning and you do it for an hour and a half and you do that every morning. And some of you say, if that's what prayer is, I'm not doing that. I would just say to you, if you can do that, you will be richly blessed. But you don't have to think that that's the only way. This, this whole thing is about various postures and positions about prayer. He's sitting. He's standing. His hands are up. Others are helping him. It, it doesn't matter how you pray. It matters that you pray. And so that you pray is the important thing. And so you say, I'm just not going to do it like that. And so therefore, I'm not going to pray. I would say, don't have that opinion. You pray as you walk around the block. You make it a point to sing how great thou art. Just write it on, a, on an index card and put it in your billfold or put it on your phone and as you walk from one class to the next, just read the words of how great thou art. That's a prayer and you will be reminded. You make a list of all the things in your past that God has answered prayers about and you say, um, what can he do now? God wants you to be first in prayer and fervent in prayer and partnered in prayer and your purpose in prayer is that he would be glorified. How to pray with power. You remember how great thou art. And no one ever cared for me like Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for loving us the way you do. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you for Jesus Christ because we know that were it not for what you have done, we would be lost in our sin, uh, headed to an eternity of separation from you. But because of Jesus Christ, we have the opportunity to be partnered with you forever beginning in this, on this planet. God, we pray that we would all be redirected to uh, your passion for us and our passion for you would be such that prayer would be a normal part of our lives and we would always be in an attitude, a habit of prayer which says that you are all powerful and you love us and our responsibility is to get in on, on what you are already doing. God, bless us not for our own good, but for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.